0: you got to just realize that, oh, you got to be you. It's got to be you. Be authentic. Don't let anyone just, like, alter your experience or alter your personality because at the end of the day, you're the only person that you really got.
1: Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Uncut, Dig Deep Podcast. I'm Annalinda ortiz Rosa here with my co-host,
2: Jack Nemesheim. Today, you'll hear from Akin Aboyade-Cole, a first-year sprinter on the Denison men's track and field team. Akeen is excited to share his story as a Nigerian-American raised in a predominantly white town.
1: Okay, Akeen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from?
2: Um, My name is Akeen, as you guys know already.
0: Um, I'm from Lake Bluff, Illinois. Um, It's 45 minutes north of the city, Chicago.
2: Could you map out your athletic career for us, please? Where did it start, and how did it lead you to sprinting at Denison University?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, um, first, ever since I was a little child, I loved soccer. Like I watched the World Cup when I was like five years old with my parents. Play on like AYSO teams when I was a kid, travel soccer, club teams, etc. So I really love soccer. And I would say my seventh grade year of middle school, I started playing football for one year. But my parents are really strict about that, so they'd only let me play for that one year <laughs> and not um otherwise. But um, then I would say um, basketball also emerged when I was maybe, like, fifth, sixth grade. So, like, it used to be like that, like, kind of, like, vibe for a position of basketball and soccer. Um, But when I got to high school, like, that was probably my last year, freshman year, of playing soccer, and I just focused on basketball. So my freshman and sophomore year, I played a lot of basketball. And then transitioning to my junior year, I kind of stopped playing basketball and focused on um, fitness. Mind you, like... During high school, like, I always, like, was really into fitness and stuff like that. Just, like, you know, was just, like, self-development, et cetera. Um, so I would say, like, fitness was a big role. I kind of pursued that my junior year. And then I also picked up track then, too. So I ran track my junior year. And then senior year, I ran track. And then here I am here <laughs> at Denison University running track, so.
1: And then what um, event are you mainly participate
0: in? Yeah, I'm a sprinter, so okay. I usually run the 100-meter dash and maybe 200-meter dash, so.
1: Awesome, quick. Um, uh, not my forte, but you know what, <laughs> each their own. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your Nigerian roots?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll say my parents, especially my dad, was born and raised in Nigeria, um, Lagos to be specific. Um, so yeah, they grew up there, and he actually grew up there until he went to college here in America. Um, well, this was in the 80s, so yeah, around then. And then my mom was actually born in London, but she moved to Nigeria when she was really young, and then she grew up there for most of her life, and then when she was in college, that's when she came to America as well. So, like, I would say, like, a lot of my family members are born and raised in Nigeria, and I still have a lot of family members in Nigeria as well, so, yeah.
2: So, I certainly am familiar with it, but could you give some of our listeners a little bit of context to what the typical demographic makeup of Lake Bluff and surrounding areas is like? Yeah, so, Lake County, north shore
0: of Illinois, is very, like, I would say affluent and wealth, like, there's an abundance of wealth. A lot of people are, like, they're very privileged in a good way. You know what I'm saying? It's always good to be privileged. But at the same time, it's a homogenous environment, if that makes sense. Like, there's not a whole lot of diversity. Even, like, simply, like, ethnic restaurants, they're very scarce in Lake Bluff, Lake Forest area. So, um, yeah, growing up in Lake Forest, I was usually the only black person in anywhere. Like, if I went to a grocery store, in class, et cetera, like... I'll usually be the only person of color there and stuff like that. So, there was a very, very homogenous area just in general. So, yeah.
2: So, being a Nigerian American and a black man in Lake Bluff, could you speak a little bit more about how racism has generally impacted your life? But then also, perhaps, if you're willing, provide some specific examples of times in which you felt discriminated against in that homogenous. Homogenous, excuse me, environment, as yeah, you said, much definitely. better
0: than I could have myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like, especially in Lake Forest, since there's a, like inadequ- inadequacy of people of color, there. Um, this is actually some psychology. Um, I'm taking psych with you, so you know. <laughs> um, I feel like the media does a very good job of portraying like a prototype for these people of what a person of color or what an African-American should do, what it looks like. And through that, there's this thing called inductive and deductive reasoning, where they say, oh, okay, so based on what I see on the media, I'm going to associate that with you. You know what I'm saying? So these are where microaggressions come in. So, for example, like, they'll always have me dancing or something, like, do the whip-a-keen or hit the quan or something like that. Um, Oh, aren't you supposed to be able to, aren't you supposed to be faster than me because of my ethnicity because I'm from Nigerian descent? So I feel like there are a lot of, like, stereotypes and microaggressions I faced um, at, like, around Lake Forest area. So... I mean, it's not necessarily their fault, but I'll just say lack of education and kind of, like, a good amount of ignorance was around as well, so... And
1: then how, growing up, did you respond and kind of react to those discriminations?
0: Um, I would say definitely, like, I kind of submerged it, I bottled up a big amount, um, especially, like, around the times when Trayvon Martin got shot and there was a lot of police brutality, a lot of people around me were kind of just, like, shaming those people, saying, oh, this and that, oh, like, they're calling them thugs, criminals, etc., and it really did bother me a big amount like I'll go home just like frustrated not knowing what to do like I feel like I couldn't say anything because I was afraid of confrontation so I would just be silent in those situations but looking back in retrospect like I really do deeply regret that and I feel like it's definitely important to educate people and to say what's on your mind being authentic.
2: Could you think of a moment perhaps earlier in your life where you regret having not spoken up for yourself but then also, if you could, and I can ask this one again because I know this is a lot to think about, could you name a specific time more recently where you were proud of the way you stuck up for yourself when someone either did something or made some comment that you thought was ignorant?
0: Yeah. So a lot of St. say, Mary's. Um, let's say the lunch line. Um, this food, you know, like hot lunch, cold lunch, etc. Um, people. There would be a lot of like waste of food, like people would throw away food, etc. And sometimes people would be like. Why are you throwing that food away? Kids in Africa could eat that or something like that, Kind of just like assuming that Africa's this poor, impoverished area, when in reality, it's a very beautiful and a very beautiful area to be in in general, so like things like that I just kind of turned a blind eye to. um I would say definitely like there was this one time there's an argument about um, police brutality in class, um they were saying this and that. I think it was the Colin Kaepernick case, and people were saying. They were disrespecting the flag, etc. And I do understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, I feel like it's important to, like, understand where Colin Kaepernick was coming around in his place, saying that, like, not necessarily is America the land of the free and home of the brave for everyone because of problems like police brutality. So, like, in situations like that, I would not say a word. I would just kind of be invisible, you know, and, like, looking back, I told you, as I said, like, I feel like just me using that voice, my voice to prevail, like, what I thought, like, that's imperative, but... You know, you live and you learn, you know what I'm saying? I will say, like, definitely, like, recently, though, like, I've done a lot better jobs to, like, displaying what I think, my opinions, especially around that 2020 time when there was a lot of, like, conflict about race, etc. and just kind of, like, using my voice on social media to share things. I think even I posted something um, on Instagram in 2020, like, when they had that blackout screen day or whatever, like, you had to, like, post a photo of, like, a blackout or a black photo, and it was, like, Blackout Tuesday, and what I captioned it, I captioned it something very like specific and like how I felt, like over things like sharecropping, the black codes, Jim Crow laws, slavery, etc. Like a lot of barriers that African Americans and Black people had to face. Um, like it really shows like the struggle they had to go through. And then like, though we've come a long way, we still have a lot farther ways to continue to go to. So. Um, Just things like that, being more open about that, posting stuff on my Instagram story. And even like when people say something that I feel like doesn't sit right with me, just like not necessarily, I mean, yes, calling them out, telling them I don't appreciate that as a person of color, trying to explain why I don't appreciate that and stuff like that. I feel like I've done a lot better job in the future than I have like when I was younger. So, yeah.
1: And then going back to kind of your elementary and like middle school experience, obviously you talked about kind of being around mainly white affluent kids, but did you ever see a shift in kind of ignorance? or Did you ever see like a a moment of growth for anyone around you or did it mainly stay stagnant throughout Hmm. your entire life?
0: Hmm. That's a very good question because I feel like um, maybe not in middle school, but also definitely in high school. Like there's a shift, absolutely. Just because as the 2020 stuff came across and all those things, that kind of evoked people to like dig deeper and to become more educated about situations and topics like this um but yeah i'll say definitely in middle school it was hard um and not only that but being dark skinned that was a big thing for real too because there's this also there's this african-american that was in my class or not in my class but like around me and he would make jokes about me being dark skinned like that's almost like kind of like having a collision between people of color when in reality we should be unified Mm so saying stuff calling me nighttime saying i'm kunte kente saying, oh, the lights are off, where's Akeem? So things like that kind of, like, literally, I would say, that kind of helped those people, those other, like, Caucasian individuals to make those jokes, which I felt like was definitely not okay. So I would say that was another barrier I faced as well, but definitely, like, as the future came, like, in high school and stuff like that, people were more educated about that. I mean, I feel like no one's perfect. Everyone can always improve, but that's kind of how I saw it. So, yeah.
1: And then can you remind me again where you went to high school?
0: I went to Lake Forest Academy.
1: Okay, so Lake Sorry. Forest Academy. Do you think that Lake Forest Academy had any role in that education? Or do you think that primarily who had people who did have a shift in view, was that more of like an outside source, what was going on at the time? Or do you think that your school did anything to kind of aid in that education when it came yeah. to the person of color experience in America?
0: Um, I will say they definitely did have dual specific things to help that. They would have dialogues about it. They'll have morning meetings. We had, the th- we had these things called morning meetings at Lake Forest Academy in all school meetings where, like, sometimes we will talk about this, have discussions and things. But, um, yeah, so I will say my school definitely did a way, like, like, participated in ways to help. I actually, my senior year in high school, I um, had a presentation, like, it was called Global Concentration. I had a presentation on the first generation experience at um, living in a predominantly Caucasian area. So um, just kind of, like, yeah, having my school, letting me do stuff like that, I would say, oh, definitely helped me. But, yeah.
2: Akeen, thank you so much for having the courage to be willing to speak about such sensitive issues, not only with Anna and I, but also with our listening audience. I wanted to ask you a couple questions uh, about your experience specifically as a Nigerian-American. I think that's super unique. Uh, Could you please first speak a little bit about your experiences visiting Nigeria? I know that's something we've talked about before.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've visited Nigeria a good amount of times. My dad really made sure I was able to visit so I could like know my roots in a way and things like that, see a lot of family members that I have in Nigeria. A good amount of my family lives in Nigeria. So like my aunties, uncles, et cetera, most of them are in Nigeria. So like being able to see them, like that's definitely big. I'll say the first time I went to Nigeria was when I was in second grade. Um, yeah, I don't really remember a whole lot about that, but um, I know that's when I first saw a lot of my um, extended family. The house that my parents were, or that my dad grew up in was the same house that still stands. So a lot of my family and family and relatives still live in that house till this day. So I think 60 years ago, like it's still standing, which I feel like that's just wonderful. And being able to go and visit and see that house that my dad was raised in, like I felt that just like, that really like meant a lot to me specifically. And I was just like, wow, like this is really generational. And just like, it fills my heart. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of seeing, like... And also just, like, seeing, like, the hustle and bustle of Nigeria. Um, You can see people, like, on the street hustling. They're selling... We call it agige bread. Um, It's essentially bread that... um, White bread. And they sell it on the street. In the dawn of the morning, we're talking, like, 6 a.m., they're, like, here selling agige bread. They, like, they have this chant for this call. They're, like, agige bread, agige bread. And they're just, like, selling it on the street. Also, like, things like we have... We have things like hawkers because traffic in Nigeria is pretty bad. So, um, while like everyone's all jam packed and everything, like traffic jams, et cetera, you can see these things we call them hawkers as well. Like they walk like within like the car sometimes, like on the side, like they sell specific trinkets, some water, snacks, et cetera. We call it plantain chips and plantain. Um, they sell a lot of those things there, and just like looking at that experience, like it's a very different to uh, Lake Bluff, Illinois, as you can see, obviously. So just, like, kind of, like, being exposed to that stuff and just, like, I kind of felt like, wow, this is really where I came from, and it's not that little bubble of Lake Forest or Lake Bluff, Illinois, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is actually how the real world is. People have to really go hard. People really have to hustle. People have to just, you know, focus and do their best they can just to be able to get food on the table for their family and stuff like that. So just seeing things like that, that motivated me. That kind of, like, realized, wow, like, this is why my parents are so hard on me. This is why they want me to be, be the best I could be. So seeing all of that and experience all that just, like, opened my eyes. So.
1: And kind of on that note of, like, parents and familial relations, how did your Nigerian upbringing, Nigerian-American upbringing, compare to, like, that of your white peers in like Forest? I would say it's
0: definitely, like, my parents are extremely strict. When I'm telling you strict, they are very strict. They do not play around at all. <laughs> so um, simple things, like, um, my parents are Yoruba. Like, that's the child my parents are. So um, just simple things like in the morning, I'll greet them. I we call it. I say e ma" or Ekaro pa," which means "good morning, dad." Good morning, mom. So I will always have to say that to them in Yoruba. I have to do this thing to elderly people, whether it's my aunties or someone older than me, and even my parents. We call it the Like we the it's kind of like a gesture of like greeting towards someone. So like, if I see like an uncle or auntie or my mom or dad or something, I'll the ballet for them which is, like, as I said, a gesture of greeting and respect. Um, so definitely a lot of things like that. I can't give anything to elders with my left hand. It always has to be with my right hand. Um, yeah, when my parents, especially my dad, when they come back from work, I'll have to meet them at the door, as I said, greet them or dabale for them, and take their bags and et cetera. And just simple gestures, like, when they're finished with their food, taking their plate and just washing it for them, like, just doing that implicitly, without just having to like you know have them tell me and things like that. So, I would say the culture is very like hard on respect. They really, they really just hammer that down. They enforce that big time. Uh, so yeah, um, I would say compared to um, the culture in Lake Forest and just like um the North Shore in general, I feel like it's nowhere as strict as that. <laughs> you know, it's nowhere as strict. Um, I think I saw some kids calling teachers by their first names. That's all I have to say. (laughs) So, yeah, there's definitely, like, some, there's definitely a disparity in, you know, respect.
2: So shifting a little bit to the present now, you know, some of the things that, maybe to a lesser extent, but some of the things that people say about the North Shore, which I'm obviously very familiar with personally, outsiders also say about Denison University. Mm -hmm. People criticize it of being a little bit uniform, if you will, and saying that a lot of the kids are privileged, maybe take, liberties in terms of respect that someone raised under a stricter household would not. What has your experience been like at Denison? Do you feel like it's an inclusive environment? Do you feel like you're kind of living in a bubble once again, or has that not been your experience thus far?
0: I feel like Denison's very diverse. Like you have people from everywhere. Like people from like people from Lake Bluff, Lake Forest, Illinois where I live, all the way to people who are from Ethiopia, like it's very diverse. There are a whole lot of people, a whole difference and on um, backgrounds, and I feel like Denison does a really, really good job in that diversity, like being able to interact with different people from different places, and I'll say I don't think it could ever be a bubble just because there are people from all over the world, you know what I'm saying? Um, so just simply like that, just being able to meet people from all over the world, like one of my best friends, like, he's a track runner too, sprinter, his name's Ethan, he's from the Bronx, like just learning about his experience and stuff like that, growing up there too, just like it's crazy like as i as i said just like meeting a lot of people from different places and i find that really wonderful because you don't get to see that everywhere so yeah
2: it's great to hear Mm -hmm. i personally feel like i'm learning as i listen to everything you speak you have such a unique interesting perspective on things and so many cool uh experiences that i think a lot of people can learn from in your own eyes what do you think others can learn from your story um, I would say the big thing, main thing is
0: authenticity. You have to know your roots. Um, definitely, just know your roots. Know where you came from. Know your upbringing, because that's gonna be your why. That's gonna propel you to do things in the future. You know what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> for me, it was going back to Nigeria, learning where I came from, seeing my the house that my dad grew up in, and and his eight siblings where they grew up in. That was my um, big thing. So I'll just say like find it, find your roots, be authentic, don't let anything alter how you act, whether it's um what people say about you, people's opinions over you, because at the end of the day, people's opinions over you are irrelevant, you know what I'm saying? Especially if you're trying to develop being the best version of yourself. As I said, I, said, I quoted this, critics are inevitable during the process of self-development. So just, like, being you 100%, like, don't let anyone just, you know alter you or kind of like make you like not yourself if that makes sense you know so just Absolutely. being authentic is I feel like that's imperative and it's essential so yeah
1: Thank you Akeen and then kind of off that what do you think Denison can improve on in kind of fostering a dialogue about diversity and equity and mm-hmm. kind of the black experience but also just the person of color experience in America
0: um, I would say definitely like what I would like to see um, just a lot more like kind of like dialogues just in general about things like this or uh, maybe, like, if we have, like, a speaker or something, and Swayze maybe having them, like, have a talk about this and seeing what people think, people's perspectives and people's opinions. I would really I would really like to see that.
2: Akeen, thank you so much for fielding these very serious and, at some point, sensitive questions very well. On this podcast, we're going to follow Freeman and Isa, the former co-host's lead, in ending our interviews with some softball questions. So first things first... What is your go-to pre-race meal if you have one? Yeah, so
0: in high school, a lot of my meats were in the morning time on a Saturday usually. So what I would eat before, like the night before, I would carbo-load. So I will just eat a, nice. a lot of carbs, you know what I'm saying? So I'm able to have as much energy as I can. And usually in the morning, I would literally have oatmeal, strawberries, bananas, and blueberries all in one. It's the quick one. It has to be brown sugar because I, I can't have <laughs> any other one besides brown sugar. So I usually have that before and then maybe a bana- like an extra banana so um that's usually my go-to or maybe just more carbs so pancakes and eggs but yeah
1: <laughs> awesome and then kind of off that kind of what's like your pre-race song like what gets you really amped up Ooh. to win that race
0: i've had a variety of songs looking back um i would definitely say dreams and nightmares by Meek Mill. <laughs> that's definitely my go-to song um yeah i just hold up wait a minute y'all thought i was finished but like, you know you know how it goes
2: do you have any last wise words, serious or unserious, for all of our listeners just, today who undoubtedly learned plenty from you?
0: <laughs> um, I'll just say, like, kind of as I said previously, just you got to just realize that, oh, you got to be you. Just got to be you. Be authentic. Don't let anyone just, like, alter your experience or alter your personality. Because at the end of the day, you're the only person that you really got. You know what I'm saying? You're living your life for yourself, not for others in general. So... That's all I wanted to say,
1: but, yeah. Well, kudos to you, Akeen, for not only bringing authenticity, but also eloquency. I'm mean, <laughs> beyond impressed by the vocabulary on this thank podcast. It's, it's incredible. Yeah,
2: of course, of course. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today, Akeen. And thank you to all of our listeners.
1: Thank you for tuning in with us. We hope Akeen's story has impacted you in some way. Stay tuned for Season 2, Episode 2.
2: Signing off, your co-hosts, Jack Niemashheim.
1: And Arlindo ortiz Sarosa.